This is The Guardian. Today, why restaurants are struggling, but there's one meal we're still going out for. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I do spend an awful lot of my life at five o'clock in the morning staring at a blank word document, trying to think of new and interesting ways to talk about eating pasta in a pale room. Grace Dent is The Guardian's restaurant critic. She spends her life eating out and telling us what's worth spending our money on. We came out of the pandemic. It felt more definite than ever that restaurants were important to us. It was the one thing that I heard time and time again when we were stuck indoors, that we just wanted to meet and be together and sit around Pizza Express tables and see each other eye to eye. We wanted to eat pub food. We wanted to go for those fancy tasting menus and mini breaks and and be a little bit extravagant. Somehow, that post-COVID fantasy didn't quite pan out. The restaurant industry has always been tough. But in the last few months, closures hit a record peak. In 2023, almost 2,000 restaurants across England, Scotland and Wales disappeared for good. Higher rents, a scarcity of staff and the ever-spiralling cost of food means the forecast for 2024 is no less bleak. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, how the cost of living crisis has changed the way we eat out. Grace Dent, you're The Guardian's restaurant critic and the host of our brilliant sister podcast, Comfort Eating. So it's fair to say you have a very good handle on the restaurant industry. So if you could just tell me about how it's looked in the last couple of years, how has it changed? We came back out to restaurants and found a real state of uh, disarray. There was a lot of things going on. We had lost loads of staff. Lots of staff had quite rightfully gone back to Europe Mm. (laughs) to see their families and uh, didn't maybe didn't feel particularly welcome about coming here again and had got better jobs elsewhere. Rents and rates became steeper. Places were coming out of the pandemic in a really bad financial shape and just didn't open at all. Mm. So it was a really bumpy landscape. The one amazing thing about 
food and hospitality in this country is. Although we maybe don't see it, it is the jewel in our crown. We have got incredible chefs, incredible, passionate people that, whether it's a folly or not, want to put money into restaurants. Mm. So the scene did come back and it has come back, but it isn't the same. And we hear a lot or we see a lot of headlines about there being an unprecedented scale of closures. But can you tell me more about that? Is that true? Is is there a lot of restaurants just folding now? You know, I think that there always was hundreds of restaurants folding. Even in the absolute heydays of restaurants, you know, a decade ago, I would be invited to about 250 openings in London a year and they weren't all going to stay open. You know, it's a really difficult thing. But... I do think right now that restaurants are facing challenges that they haven't before with regards to just the absolute tiny margins that they're working on to stay open. So, yeah, you do you do get surprises all the time. And are there any restaurants in particular or kinds of food in particular that are suffering the most? Oh, look, um, I think that the problem we have right now in restaurants is that with the increased rents, the increased rates, the increased heating bills, fuel bills, the money ends up going into the price of the food. So therefore, people are just getting incredible shocks now when they open up the menu and they see more and more now, it is the £30 main cost, the £40 main cost, £45 for a piece of fish, £12 for uh, a small plate, £6 for uh, a couple of pieces of broccoli. That on one really plate. stings. The broccoli, I hate that one. The broccoli when it comes the six out. £6 broccoli. So, you know, I wouldn't say the specific things that are suffering, but what I, what I would say is if you want to eat monkfish, when you go out to a restaurant now, expect to pay £44. Even I, I gasp at some of the pricing in restaurants now. You know, I hang around in real life with a lot of restaurant people and we have a WhatsApp group and uh, we very often send screen grabs of menus with something circled and I'll, it's like literally they should be wearing a mask. These people are like <gasps> Dick Turpin. You want £44 for like a tiny fillet of Branzino or whatever. I understand if the chef was right in front of me because chefs are very volatile people. They don't get a lot of fresh air and uh, they sit in basements all day with everyone telling them they're right. If a chef could hear this, he would blow his top at me and he'd go, <laughs> he'd go, do you want to go through my bills with me, Grace? This is why the Branzino. The sourcing, the process, the my sauce, staff. Process. Do you not, my ingredients. Do you not realise I did a stage at Noma and all that? They all did stages at Noma. I do understand the reasoning behind it, but what I do feel with restaurants now when I put on my bra and my heels and I set off for the night is I really take note now of what I am ordering. I keep a really strong eye on what is actually being ordered because um, a bill can go from £70 a head to £170 a head very quickly mm. in this day and age. Grace, how do you think our habits have changed? How do you think all of this has affected our habits when it comes to the way that we eat out? I think for most people, they'll have those special occasions still where they go out once, twice, three times a year to a restaurant. They might splurge a little bit. They might go to somewhere for a fancy tasting menu. 
what I notice right now amongst my friends, and and I've got to say these are people in London who people would say the metropolitan elite, but even they are going, do we really need to go to this place? Weren't we just happy in Pizza Express? And what I find is people saying we just can't justify waking up in the morning with that splitting headache and that feeling that somewhere along the way you had a pre dinner cocktail which cost 16 pounds for a martini and then moved on to some starters which you invariably didn't get any of because they were to share for the table before you knew it they were all down the other end of the table these tiny pieces of raw fish or whatever they're serving and you didn't get any and i think that people now they're just happier in uh in more cost-friendly places I mean, who wants to sit there dividing some butternut squash between four people, like a tiny slice of it? No one really wants to do that. Everyone wants their own dinner plate with a big load of dinner on it. I mean, look, you're just saying that as if it's a crazy idea. I, I, I love it when someone says, you know, I just, sometimes I just want my dinner. And I think that we have been so, so brainwashed over the years that small plates are an enjoyable way of eating. Are they on their way out? Is that is it over for them? Oh, I would love to tell you that we've hit peak small plate, but no, no, no. I will never, ever escape, I think, that talk that I have from the waiters where they always stop you and say, can I just please explain? As if you've never seen one before, as if you've never had to try and... Uh, divide up a stew between <laughs> you know divide up a broth between three people um no i don't think small plates are out of the way because i think that i think small plates are, are a profitable way for people to uh, to turn tables Grace, how have restaurants responded to this idea that, you know, money is tight for everyone? I think one of the good things that came out of the pandemic, and you don't get to say that very often, but with hospitality, it led to a slight bolshiness in restaurant people that wasn't there before with regards to making sure you turned up for your table. And... um, Asking for your table back if you were just sitting hogging it for the whole night. (laughs) Now, these things really annoy the customer. They really, really do. Customers in a few years ago when this started were affronted to be asked for £20 to guarantee that they would actually show up on Friday night for the table for two that they uh, reserved on the Monday, the previous Monday. They were affronted. Restaurants were doing this for a reason. I saw it time and time and time again with my friends that had restaurants. People were hedging their bets. Now, I am not saying for one moment that the lovely listeners of this podcast would dare to do that. They have not got the bad manners. Let's talk about other people who on a Monday would sit there going, oh, why don't I just book a table here, 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 easy as it was on an app? And then it got to Friday and they chose one and the yeah. other four went. There's also this general sense of flakiness, which we have as a society become flaker and flaker and non-committal. Yeah. 
a lot of us were flaky and non-committal about socialising before the pandemic. And then we had a few years where we could sit indoors if we were lucky. We had a few years. And then we came out and uh, I think that restaurants realised that if they were going to allow people, some people are really, really cheeky and they will reserve a table for seven people uh, they will give all kinds of demands and orders and then they just won't show up. So what happened after the pandemic was that they started being very, very upfront. What's made it very difficult for me as a restaurant critic trying to go anywhere incognito is uh, I have to give my credit card all the time before right. I can get They know I'm coming because it doesn't matter what name, you know, I can book under the name Fenella Fudge Trumpet if I want, but it still says your bank details will give it away. Gigi Dent, because even to have a table of two anywhere, it's it, they, they want the money up front. So Grace, a lot of restaurants will now ask you to maybe stump up a deposit for a booking or they'll turf you out after two hours, but it's not true for all places. And so I wonder if those more casual dining places are thriving. Take, for instance, pizza joints. Look, pizza is having another big moment now. I mean, pizza, does it ever really go away? But pizza is incredibly popular right now because as a restaurateur, you're just kind of doing the same thing again and again. I'm sure that they would shout at me for saying that, but it's just a fancy cheese sandwich. Look, when I'm organising a dinner now for seven or eight people, what will happen is one person will say, oh, on that date, and they'll give a list of restaurants. And then I'll get secret messages from on the a back channel from other people saying, can we not just go for pizza? <laughs> <laughs> the side chat, because, the pizza side chat. Because people are saying, look, you know, it's two weeks till payday. I don't want to pay £11 for Jerusalem artichokes. Not today. Not today. Coming up, why is pizza recession-proof? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. In Norway, a woman's boyfriend forgets who she is overnight. In Detroit, a man is arrested, but he was never at the crime scene. In Spain, disturbing pictures of young girls have appeared, and no one knows who's behind them. Something strange is happening. A collision between people and artificial intelligence. Discover more in The Guardian's new series, Black Box. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes, Monday and Thursdays. Yeah, talk me through what's happening in the kitchen at the moment, which I've been given the joy of being able to walk around. So we're, um, this, we're next to the uh, wood oven where we make the pizzas, the pizza section. Um, we're by the mouth of the oven, which you can see is ferociously hot. So, uh, how how hot are we talking? I'd say it's about 400 degrees right okay. now. All right, it's yeah, quite hot. You can feel the heat coming off it. I have to That's describe, this is one giant oven for what looks like a little baby pizza in there now. That's going to cook for about, yeah... 90 seconds sort of thing so it's really quick really hot Um, that's sort of something that you can't really recreate at home really so the heat of the oven so how long have you had this place open this we are we're going to be 10 years next year wow nine years yeah so um yeah feels like a very long time oh that looks good (laughs) and it's come out and it looks it looks amazing finish some olive oil Theo, it's obviously a difficult time for restaurants. I mean, we hear that every day. We see the headlines. Um, it's very expensive. Yeah. Costs are expensive. Pizza's thriving. Why do you think that is? Well, I think partly it's down to the accessibility. Like we, you know, part of the challenge of running this place is we've tried to keep the the price. We haven't put the price up too much. We've we've sort of uh, it's gone up a little bit, but still. Our most expensive pizza is, is 13, 14 quid. So, um, you know, we want people to be able to come back sort of two or three times a week and enjoy the food rather than it just be a sort of special occasion. And finally, are you worried at all about pizza being faddy or like being given the same treatment that, say, dirty burgers were a decade ago or, you know, I don't know, bubble tea? <laughs> like, are you worried about it becoming like a trendy thing and then sort of falling off? Or do you think, ah, it's pizza? I don't. I, th- I think we're more than you know. Yeah, we do pizza, but you know we're more of a, a restaurant. It's, it's more the whole experience rather than purely just the pizza. I think pizza will never lose its appeal. It'll maintain its popularity. Tony Naylor, you've been a food and drink writer for around two decades and you've written for The Guardian on why pizza sales are proving so resilient in what is a tricky time for restaurants. Pizza joints 
are still proving super popular. You say more so than ever. How come? Relatively speaking, pizza is, you know, a low cost item in terms of the raw ingredients and what it costs to produce and consequently what you can charge for it whilst making a reasonable profit. So it kind of ticks a lot of boxes for both the restaurateur and the consumer at the moment. And then at the same time, it's this endlessly versatile product. The possibilities are, if not endless, then certainly enough to suffice everyone's needs. You know, no one is going to object to that. At the same time, there are a million and one different variations of the pizza. So it never gets tired as a product because there's always something you've not heard of coming around the bend in terms of a new stylistic twist on it. Antonio, what does that mean when you look out on the high street? Is our ever-growing appetite for pizza helping, you know, just the big chains like Pizza Express, Franco Manca, Domino's, or is it boosting independent local joints as well? No, no, I mean, a, a, a lot of the growth is at that lower end. I, I suppose they are themselves growing chains now, Pizza Pilgrims. And Rudy's Pizza reported very good sales last year and are expanding uh, relatively quickly. So, you know, they're, they're kind of examples, I suppose, of what is a wider low-lying proliferation of Neapolitan uh, pizza restaurants so across the country, small independence, which is happening concurrently. I suppose they're the figureheads of that. And at the same time, there are lots of small enthusiasts tinkering with different styles of pizza who are also coming into the market and doing well. So I think that tide is uh, raising all ships, both the likes of Domino's, who announced they were recruiting 5,000 new staff last year and are expanding still, and also the smaller independents. People love pizza. They may have different reasons for why they would go to Domino's or go to one of the smaller independents. They may like different styles of pizza, but pizza as a food is I would say, almost universally popular. Well, you've mentioned that affordability, the relatively cheap way to fill up on pizza, and, you know, that universal appeal are the main factors driving its popularity at the moment. But is there anything else at play? And if so, what does it tell us about the way we're eating in Britain now? Well, I suppose, (laughs) you know, I hate to categorise Gen Z and millennials eating in a certain way. Tapping into that market has been an obsession for people over recent years. And a lot of the behaviours which those groups are supposed to want in eating out. Its versatility is a key point in so much as people want to eat the way they want to eat. They don't want to be dictated to by a restaurant. They want to be able to choose what they eat. And obviously, pizza by dint of the toppings is endlessly customizable to your tastes. And then you've got this whole kind of variety, novelty and Instagrammability angle to it as well. You know, everybody's photographing what they eat. Pizza lends itself to that. You can make pizza look very good on your phone. That cheese pull that everybody looks for on TikTok, pizza's very good at that. I think fundamentally, the idea that going to a high-end Michelin restaurant is what everybody aspires to, that moment has possibly passed. Grace, you spend so much of your time eating out around the country and you can see places when they're doing it really well and conversely when they're just getting it really wrong. What do you think is the secret sauce? What makes a good restaurant? What would your advice be to those trying to make their business a success? Oh God, you know, like a good restaurant is 
a combination of about five or six different things, like an orchestra, uh, all playing at once. And it's so hard to tell people exactly what to do because it's not just the food. Although I would recommend a smaller menu doing six or seven things really well with maybe some signature things that the locals absolutely love and will keep coming back and will be really upset if you take off the menu. Choose your staff wisely. When you've got people that genuinely like other human beings and genuinely light a room up and make the customers feel happy, Keep hold of those people with both hands. <laughs> Every time another restaurant looks at them, just hold them tighter, right? Because <laughs> pay them well, pay them well, cherish them. So many places I come out and I go, the food was wonderful, but the service was just lovely. And then after that, you lighting, know, lighting, tell me about oh, lighting. Lighting, you know, you know me so well. Look, lighting is so important. I like to sit in a dewy golden light where people say, who's that? That looks like a 25-year-old version of Grace Dent. <laughs> Soft <laughs> focus, people. That's Soft what we want. Soft focus. But, you know, other things are keep your bathrooms clean. Make sure people are going in there. Make sure there's lots of toilet paper. Make sure there's lots of, like, you don't have to spend lots of money on fancy soaps. Make it pretty. Make it personal. And if you own a restaurant, if your biggest dream was to open a restaurant, then accept that you have to be in that restaurant all the time, keeping an eye on all of this until it's just such a passion project. But the fact that you put love into it, people will feel that love. If you are actually in Acapulco, just screaming orders on a phone, I think people will know. Grace, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. That was The Guardian's restaurant critic, Grace Dent, food writer Tony Naylor, and Theo Lewis, owner of Theo's Pizzeria in Camberwell, South London. My thanks to all of them. You can read Tony's piece, Hotter Than Ever, How Pizza Conquered Britain, Leaving Its Rivals in the Dust, and all of Grace's restaurant reviews in Feast at theguardian.com. I would hugely recommend taking a listen to Grace's podcast, Comfort Eating. It's back for season six. It has the ever-wonderful Kathy Burke on this week talking about her favourite food. You can listen to that wherever you listen to this. Before we go, I'd also like to mention that The Guardian is launching its long-awaited feast app at the end of the month, which will be the only cooking companion you need in the kitchen, bringing you the best of The Guardian and Observer's recipes from its star cooks. Look out for that on the App Store or find out more at theguardian.com forward slash food. And that's it for today. I'm Nishian Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Sammy Kent. Sound design is by Solomon King. The executive producers were Elizabeth Kassin and Huma Khalili. We'll be back again on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.